This is Smart Women, Smart Power, a podcast that features conversations with some of the world's most powerful women. We support at any one time up to $135 billion in U.S. goods and services, and that must be tied to U.S. jobs. So it's great, and we want to be there helping our country compete. We feature women who are breaking barriers and shaping the future of foreign policy, national security, international business, and development. I'm Beverly Kirk, the director of the Smart Women, Smart Power Initiative at the Center for Strategic and International Studies in Washington. The Export-Import Bank of the United States, better known as the XM Bank, helps facilitate the export of U.S. goods and services. It's an independent federal agency that supports American job creation. Nearly 1.5 million jobs in all 50 states over the past decade. I sat down with XM Bank President and Board Chairman Kimberly Reed to talk about how the bank is contributing to U.S. economic growth and responding to economic challenges presented by the COVID-19 pandemic. Chairman Reed is the first woman to lead XM Bank in its 86-year history. Chairman Reed, thanks so much for joining me here on the Smart Women, Smart Power podcast. Thank you. Good morning from Fargo, North Dakota. How are you? I am well. How are you in Fargo? I am fantastic. So we are in mid-October in the United States, and I want to visit all of our exporters of the year that we awarded this year. And so I just visited a fabulous small business yesterday in Minnetonka, and uh, going to have a great day today in North Dakota, and then we'll finish out our visit in Minnesota and Illinois. But it's great to be out and uh, doing this in a safe way, but really seeing those small businesses we love, especially those women-owned small businesses. Glad to hear you're visiting all the businesses and particularly those that are owned by women. Now, for our listeners who may not be familiar with the XM Bank, how does it work and what does it do? The Export-Import Bank of the United States is our government's official export credit agency. So this is a deep dive right now. ECA, Export Credit Agency, is the generic term for what we do. And I say that because there are 115 XMs or ECAs around the world. Ours, uh, the United States Export-Import Bank, was founded 86 years ago. And our job is the best job, I think, in the world, which is supporting U.S. jobs by facilitating American exports. We may be known to some as the lender of last resort, but we do so much. We do direct lending. If a foreign purchaser wants to buy a U.S. good made on U.S. soil by U.S. workers and they can't get financing from a normal private sector financial institution, they can come to us for a direct loan. We also guarantee loans of private sector financial institutions if that institution says, yes, we want to loan this money to this foreign purchaser in a foreign country, but maybe it's a little too risky for us. We really need XM to come in and guarantee it. And then for our small businesses, we do what I saw yesterday yesterday. 
in Minnetonka, export credit insurance. So you're a business, you're sending goods overseas, and you really hope that foreign buyer pays up. If they don't, we provide an insurance product to help protect our our U.S. small businesses. And then we do something working capital. But we do a lot of other things as well. But in all, we support at any one time up to $135 billion in U.S. goods and services. And that must be tied to U.S. jobs. So it's great. And we want to be there helping our country compete not only around the world, but using XM if they need us to help level the playing field. And how does all of this impact U.S. economic growth? So trade is very important to our country, as we all know, and we make a difference with what I saw yesterday, where a company is able to employ extra employees because they have an exporting model that depends upon our export credit insurance. So it is a tool, as I say, in our nation's trade toolbox. And when you look at supporting potentially at any one time $135 billion of extra exports because we exist, the U.S. Export-Import Bank, that's a good thing for workers in our country. This agency was dormant for about four years, right? It didn't have a board quorum, but you were able to reopen it. What did you do to get things up and running again? Absolutely. So for those who are not Washington and Congress aficionados, our law for the Export-Import Bank of the United States says to be able to do large deals, and at the time it was anything over $10 million, you need a board of directors to vote on the deal and approve it or reject it. And because of some issues getting the president's nominees through the Congress, it took me personally two and a half years as a nominee, but we didn't have a Senate-confirmed quorum of our board of directors for four years, essentially just keeping our agency from doing anything except for really small deals. So worked really hard, happy to talk about that. But now that we're open, right now we're holding on our book, as they say, about $40 billion in transactions. And we can grow that to $135 billion. So any business in our country that wants to be exporting, small or large, we want to be there helping that happen. Now, I want to circle back to uh, some things that you talked about. One mission of the XM Bank is to level the playing field for U.S. exporters, which you alluded to. But there's also a strong focus on national security issues and international competition. What are some of the national security issues that the bank has to deal with? Absolutely. When you think about things like nuclear reactors, sensitive equipment, and now um, we all know about Huawei and things like 5G and wireless communications, you have to think about, do you want the world to have made in the USA goods and services in their countries? Or do you want other countries, which might might be countries that are not our allies or partners, do you want their goods and services in these countries? And so Congress, late last year with uh, President Trump's leadership, reauthorized Exim for a historic amount of time, seven years. And with that, Congress recognized, since we were closed for four years, that something had happened in the meantime. And what was that? China came in and started really using their export credit agencies or their ECAs to help support their Belt and Road Initiative or China 2025 that we know so much about but not enough about. So they're using their export credit and they have more than one. We just have one. 
but they're using theirs to finance deals all around the world. And so Congress said to us in the law in December, we want you to, to take on China a little more directly, and we're going to enable you, USXM, to do that by matching the terms of deals that China might be involved with, because we want to see you bring those, those victories to our workers and our exports. An example of that, I was just down in Florida last week, and I visited a company called Air Products. They're headquartered in Allentown, Pennsylvania, but I visited their Port Manatee facility. As soon as uh, we were confirmed, I uh, had the pleasure of voting on the largest deal in Exim's history, a $5 billion transaction to help this company export its goods and services to the country of Mozambique. And Mozambique has natural gas reserves under the ocean um, off its shores. And while we were closed, um, we were told that Mozambique was going to utilize Russian and Chinese equipment to help tap that and export that. And this LNG will transform the country of Mozambique, very important economically. And thanks to President Trump's leadership in reopening the bank by nominating us and then getting us past the finish line, we were just open and they came to us and said, we want Made in USA. And so they put our application in to process at XM and we had the pleasure of voting on the largest deal in XM's history. So I was down in Port Manatee and actually touched piece of amazing equipment that will will be shipped to Mozambique to help with that project. So that's an example that's perhaps tied to national security, perhaps not, but it's definitely transformational and it's ensuring that, that we're present in the world. But you tour ports tour a lot of facilities with uh, semiconductors and quantum computing. And uh, again, Huawei, we know what's happening there. We really want to be helping U.S. and our partners and trusted allies do good work. And so now we have this new, new ability. And if I could just follow up, I, I wanted to clarify that you offer to match whatever China is offering in various countries. Did I hear that correctly? So the law says that we can essentially match China's rates and terms and other conditions to allow our U.S. exporters to be fully competitive. So we're waiting for a great application to come into us. This program was just burst on December 20th of last year. And so we are working really hard to set this fully up. But if we have an application that comes into our agency to say, hey, we want to export and China's getting ready to fill the gap on this project in in a country, let's just pick a sub-Saharan Africa, because we have a great CSIS member, Dan Rundy, who is our external chair of our uh, sub-Saharan Africa advisory committee. So just a shout out to CSIS and to Dan. I've known Dan for many years, but let's say a country in sub-Saharan Africa says China is going to compete for this project, but we want uh, the United States to be able to do so as well. And here's the great deal that China is offering us. So that application will come into us. And of course, we also are about protecting the United States taxpayer. We're about doing things responsibly, but it would allow us to at least consider matching the terms so that uh, that country in sub-Saharan Africa would pick our products over China's. It's also something uh, that China does. It's known as debt trap diplomacy. So, of course, again, I'm going to protect the U.S. taxpayer with everything I do. We have a great underwriting team. We do things in the best way possible. But this has given us a new legislative tool to be able to do something like this. 
And one example in Africa, I believe, is Senegal, where there was a rural electrification project in 330 villages, and the U.S. and China were competing, in essence, for that, and the U.S. small businesses won out. Can you talk about how that happened? Absolutely. A great company called Weldy Lamont headquartered in Illinois. So they uh, competed on a project to bring electrification, as you mentioned, to to all of these villages in Senegal. And I've had a great opportunity to sit down with a lot of the, the government leaders in Senegal. But this was a project that supports 500 jobs across numerous states in our country. And about a 90, $91.5 million transaction. Um, and we know that we were selected. And I think that's a great thing. We want to see our country thriving and competing. And it's just not China. As I mentioned, there are 114 other export credit agencies in the world. They all have their own terms and conditions. Some of them adhere to standards set by the OECD, like our country does, but uh, the majority do not. And so we really want to be there uh, leveling the playing field and competing. And that's why the president, and this was actually a bold move on his part, he was against the Export-Import Bank when he was running for election in 2016. And after he won, he brought in some businesses who, who said to, to him, sir, we're not able to fully compete because your USXM is closed. And he actually changed his mind on this and said, you're absolutely right. And then nominated me to be the first woman in the history of this 86-year-old institution to head this. And so every day is a great day at XM because we're all about supporting jobs in our economy. And we'll talk about uh, your being the first woman in this position in a little bit. Just a couple of other questions on export subsidies. I would like to know, how do other countries handle their export subsidies? Do they offer the same kinds of incentives that the U.S. government offers? And are these export subsidies concentrated in certain industries, such as tech? You mentioned 5G and quantum computing earlier. Or does it cover a broad range of industries? We have export credit agencies around the world that adhere to OECD standards, which is what our country does, but we have many that don't. And then within our own U.S. Export-Import Bank, we have uh, additional standards. And we have something called Congress that likes to review what we're doing and reauthorize us from time to time. And so I just mentioned that a few moments ago, I uh, not only had to come in after being confirmed and reopen our agency, our agency was set to sunset in December of 2019 and closed permanently. Couldn't even do the small deals, uh, but for action of Congress to reauthorize us. And normally that's done three, four, five years at a time. And again, President Trump came in loud and strong and said in the press, Congress, I want to see a 10-year reauthorization. The world needs certainty of this financial tool of our country. And Congress came back with uh, seven years. So we're good to go through 2026, which is the longest in our agency's history. I'm very grateful for that. It's a strong bipartisan effort. But other countries don't have the rates and terms and behaviors that, that, that we have. We know that China is doing nearly what the G7 countries do combined when it comes to export credit financing. And they are not transparent. We are very transparent. For those listeners who want to learn more about uh, what we do, I really recommend our website, 
www.exim.gov. And if you go there and click on reports, you'll see that we do an annual report, but then uh, getting to this point, we do an annual report on global competition. And so you'll read and see what all of the other countries are doing. But again, this is something that they voluntarily share information with us to put into this report. We do the best we can. We have a great staff, but a lot of what we know is happening is not transparent. And so that's why we have this new program on China and transformational exports. We also do co-financing with a lot of our export credit agencies around the world. And so it's a very friendly relationship. I just hosted, the United States just hosted our annual G12 head of export credit agencies where we came together collectively to talk about common issues. But we know that um, certain countries, uh, even our neighbor to the north, Canada, they have a very different uh, model and they want to, and I know this firsthand, take some of our great made in the USA jobs and products and bring uh, some multinational companies to their shores using their products and services. And so I'm really here to tell every company, please reshore your jobs in the United States. The president supports XM for that very purpose as well. We want to see our country thriving and our workers uh, thriving. And so that's just a little bit. But as we look at deals that are happening where the U.S. is not involved around the world, uh, including key strategic ports in the countries of Djibouti and in Sri Lanka, where China came in and filled those gaps. And I was just meeting my uh, very first trip in the middle of, you know, the COVID lockdown. I went uh, about three weeks ago to the country of Greece and met with the prime minister of Greece. And he made sure that we saw something called the Port of Piaris. And back in 2016, China acquired majority share of that port. And that was a very strategic location between Asia and Europe. It's the largest port in Greece, third largest in Europe. And so we were shown that. And so we're now working with um, countries around the world like Greece to ensure that uh, now that we're back and open and strong, that they at least consider the United States and our goods and services. You mentioned COVID. How has the pandemic impacted XM Bank? When COVID struck in mid-March, I made sure that we were fully transformed into a teleworking agency. And I sit at my kitchen table and I will say that I work harder and more efficiently and probably too efficiently at home. And I know my colleagues feel the same way. And as you mentioned, uh, we are needed, especially in times like this when the economy is tough. And uh, that was the same after the 2008 financial crisis. So um, we are working as efficiently as ever. I'm very pleased. Um, if anyone ever has an issue there to let me know, but I think we're rocking and rolling. And that's what we see through. If you look at our press releases on our website, you'll see how much we're doing on a, on a daily basis that we're sharing with the public. But in addition to fully transforming our agency, we also wanted to be sure that we were there for U.S. companies. And so we immediately took some relief action. We have some programs, our supply chain finance program, 
program on our working capital guarantee program. So we increased the coverage option to that to 95%. And we also created some new temporary relief measures that resulted in us uh, being able to approve two transactions, one for 200 million and one for 250 million to support U.S. steel products uh, using our relief measures. And that's that's great. Um, and just visiting this company yesterday in Minnetonka, uh, they were really happy that they did not have to lay off anyone and they're actually hiring. And they've not had to tap our export credit insurance yet, but, you know, some small businesses have. But, uh, you know, think about uh, exporting widgets around the world. You want to make sure that foreign buyer pays up when it shows up at their location. And so perhaps, you know, we're doing just fine um, with, with our exporters, but maybe those purchasers in foreign countries aren't. And so, and so we have, we have these products that we're really making sure our businesses know about. And uh, I need to brag though, I work with a lot of the largest financial institutions in our country. And you know, many of those, JP Morgan, Citi, Bank of America, all the largest, but we also work with really small banks, local banks, credit unions, but we're there uh, to help guarantee their loans as well. We want them to be lending. We don't want to displace the private sector in in any way. And so we're here to help them as well. Do you anticipate or foresee increased demands for funding because of the COVID-19 pandemic? So our wonderful U.S. Export-Import Bank is needed at times like this. We were needed after the 2008 financial crisis, but we need to raise awareness also with our companies around the around our country that we're a tool that they might not have known about or ever used. And so last week I was down in Florida with the president and CEO of the Florida Chamber of Commerce. And he's like, my goodness, I know you've been to Florida. I know you're celebrating a exporter of the year here in Florida, but more of our companies in our state need to know about that. And so what went uh, for me honoring a Greenfield World Trade, a great uh, kitchen supply company that exports around the world from honoring them, went from that to us launching phase two of our All America initiative where we will be doing events with every state chamber of commerce in our country. But we also want financial institutions to know about us. We support uh, institutions of all sizes in guaranteeing their loans and other other services, but we really want U.S. exporters of all sizes. Think if you were an exporter, if I was an exporter. I'm from West Virginia, so our state food is what I would export. It's not possible, but uh, but if you are in West Virginia, try the, the pepperoni roll that you buy there with beautiful, delicious uh, West Virginia products in it. But if I wanted to export something from my home state, that could seem daunting, but we know that 95% of the world's customers are outside of our borders. And so if I was even considering it, I would probably go to my local bank or credit union and say, hey, I want to figure this out. If that institution doesn't know about the tools that XM has to offer to help them, then that might not come to fruition. So we really want to raise awareness and priority for me are women and minority-owned businesses along with veteran-owned businesses businesses for persons with disabilities, and also startups. 
And so we really want to raise awareness because as I visited a company yesterday, just have 40 employees, every job matters in our country, as we know, and as we work to recover after the economic downturn with COVID. And so we want to be there helping, helping our U.S. companies compete. And so um, I mentioned that we just supported uh, two big deals for U.S. Steel, uh, supply chain financing. That also provides liquidity and helps big companies as well as small be successful around the world. As you mentioned earlier, you're the very first woman in the 86-year history of the Exim Bank to be the chairman. And I want to ask you about that. And you're actually one of the few women leaders in global trade. Talk a bit about being the first. Did you feel any extra pressure? And how do you encourage other young women to follow in your footsteps? Well, I want to encourage every woman in our country and around the world to be out there and achieving great things. And I think, Beverly, this podcast is an example of that. So thank you to you and to CSIS for for taking messages like this globally. So I grew up, I was born in 1971. I'm going to turn 50 in March. And my mother obviously grew up with me uh, at the start of the of the women's movement in the 70s. And so she was a young mother. And obviously, we achieved a lot of great things um, since when I was born and even before that. But I really have the blessing of, of the generation before me, I think, you know, breaking that glass ceiling. And uh, obviously, we're mourning the loss of Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Now we have a great nominee, uh, Amy Coney Barrett, and we want to see great things happen for women of our generation and uh, the millennial generations to, to, to come. And so when I showed up at XM, I just approached my job like I do anything in life, and that's working hard, letting your record speak for itself, and being dedicated. I don't know how our staff felt about me. I don't know. Uh, I have probably a different approach to things than the than the many men chairmen who preceded me. And I love walking down the hall of Exim where you see portraits of every chairman since our founding. And it's a row of men. And then there I am at the end, my picture. And so um, I really focus in on issues, I think, that are important to women. But I also am so proud that we have a, now a majority woman workforce at Exim. And uh, that's awesome. And uh, but I but I also want to support every every person and mentor everyone in their career, whether th- whether they're male or female. But I know that I'm blessed, and uh, probably I'm working harder. I would say than than maybe some of my male counterparts. I don't know that, but I I work all the time, and I don't have children, so I know that moms who are working it's 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 challenging to be able to work 24/7 when when you have other other important priorities in your life. But I'm grateful that President Trump recognized my skills, and uh, he supports a lot of women leaders, and uh, just so happy to be representing uh, the new transform face of XM at this important time in our country's history. And as we wrap up here, I can't let you go without uh, mentioning the fact that you were a 4-H'er growing up in West Virginia. How important was that in your development of uh, leadership skills and interest in STEM? and, And basically, how did it help you get to be where you are today? Wow. Well, I don't know, Beverly, were you a 4-H'er? 
I was. Well, <laughs> every state has their own program, and I am a huge fan of USDA's efforts to support extension programs across our country. So my mom died when I was nine years old in fourth grade of cancer. She was a, a 32-year-old, and so she left my dad at age 29 with a big charge, me at age nine and my brother age five. And so my grandparents, my dad's parents, mommers and poppers really stepped in to help my dad. And so my grandmother looked at me and said, you are shy and you're going to get into a group that's going to help plan a good foundation for you. So she enrolled me in 4-H and I encourage everyone to see what 4-H is. It's a wonderful program, uh, leadership training not only in the United States, but around the world. And so I had to, as a fourth grader, shy, do things like uh, take on projects. And my grandmother made me do something that I hated more than anything, which was go compete, do a public demonstration process. And so at age 9, 10, 11, I had to go before judges and present a project. And so I remember one that I did that I won a prize for was how to make hot cocoa. And so you have to stand there with your easel and your products and show the audience how you do this and present it in a professional way. And you're judged on that. And then you get those tough questions. So you're asking me tough questions right now, Beverly. Not as tough as what I was asked in fourth grade when a judge asked me, what's the nutritional value of your hot cocoa? And I had not prepared for that question. I like science, as you mentioned. I'm one of the 100 women leaders in STEM right now. But that was a tough question. And luckily, I knew about vitamin D and calcium and I paid attention in science to at least be able to answer that with confidence. I don't know how how that happened but uh, that prepared me for my job today and really taught me a lot and so I really want to encourage parents to enroll their kids in things that make them do public speaking, take ownership of projects uh, where you see something from start to finish. It, it teaches important, important skills and so this past August I was so thrilled to invite to my office the national head of 4-H and she recorded a video to be played on their website and it's important that uh, non-4-Hers know that you focus on skills around 4-H when what do the 4-Hs stand for head heart hands and health I still remember after all these years well, thank you so much, Chairman Reed. This has been a great conversation, and I really appreciate you joining us here on the Smart Women, Smart Power podcast. Thank you, Beverly, and thanks to everyone for listening. Take care. Take care. Subscribe to the Smart Women, Smart Power podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to good content. Be sure to follow us on Twitter, at Smart Women, and I'm at Beverly Kirk. Thanks for listening. See you next time.